Today, we're going to be talking about Titus 1, 4, and 5, and then we're going to talk about elders and the roles of elders. Now, I believe that when preaching the Word of God, we should always have a very clear context. And the broadest context when preaching a sermon, any sermon, anything about the Word of God, is always going to be the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to start with that for our context. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is this. In the beginning, man was made perfect by God. Man then sinned, which is rebelling against God's standards and principles. All human beings have sinned and rebel against God. Doing things as simple as lying or as horrid as murder. God, being a just and righteous God, cannot accept sin into His presence. And thus, all humankind would have to suffer eternity without God which is eternal suffering. Eternity without God is eternal suffering. That is eternal death after physical death. But God, being loving and merciful, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, second member of the Trinity, who is fully God and fully man, for the purpose of dying on the cross. Jesus, sinless and perfect, took all of our sins upon Himself, though He never sinned Himself and died in our place. Since Jesus Christ is God and God is infinite, He took the full amount of every person's sins upon Himself. He then rose from the grave three days later, later fully glorified. Jesus Christ Himself says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There is only one way to receive God's grace, which is undeserved and not earned through any works or merits that I or you can do. It is to, through faith, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, accepting that you are a sinner and that Jesus died in your place because you couldn't pay for it yourself. Then and only then you will have guaranteed eternal life, which no one can take from you and you will live with God in heaven forever and ever after this physical life. So that's our broad context, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our book of study is Titus, the letter which Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote in the first century A.D. to Titus, which is one of his co-workers. Titus was ministering on the island of Crete at the time. Today we are studying verses 4 and 5 in chapter 1 and looking at the roles of an elder. Paul was giving Titus instructions of how to choose elders in Crete. At that point, they hadn't, they hadn't actually chosen church government at that point. Some very important concepts for Christianity come through in this section. We'll first talk about Paul's relationship with Titus and their common faith and the faith that is common to all Christians. Then the concepts of grace and peace. And we will end with Paul's entrusting Titus with the work in Crete and the concept of biblical eldership. Then KT is going to come up and talk about the roles of an elder. So we have a little bit of a two-parter today. So someone with a big, strong voice, read uh, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 for me. No strong voices. Thank you very much. Next slide, please, Sam. Evidently, this is going to cause problems this morning. <laughs> this button? I'll figure it out. <clears throat> so, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. Paul calls Titus his true or genuine child. We've talked a little bit about the significance of this Titus being a Greek and Paul being a Jew and what it would take for a Jew to say that about a Greek person at that time. That's a big deal. That's uh, a lot of love and tenderness on Paul's part. Titus may have been a convert of Paul's, and that way Titus would be Paul's true child. We don't really know for sure. Um, either way, we do know that Titus is like a son to Paul. Uh, Titus is very dear to Paul. Paul is also making a simple yet very direct proclamation in writing to Titus's authority in Crete. 
A son, especially in the first century, was more than just the flesh and blood of a father. A son was the representative of a father. So Titus should be treated as Paul would be treated in Crete. In a common faith. That's a very important statement. Titus is Paul's true child, not physically speaking, but in a spiritual sense. That is, through the faith in Jesus Christ as their common Savior, uh, that faith that both hold. That is how Titus is his true child, through that common faith. This expression, common faith, does not mean uh, ordinary. It's not common as an ordinary or nothing special. It's common as a shared, universal. Every person who accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior is part of the family of God and the body of Christ. Our faith is a shared faith. As such, we must be there for one another. Uh, Whether a Christian is my next-door neighbor, uh, in the next state over, the next country, and the next continent, regardless, every believer in Jesus Christ shares that faith in that family of God, and we are supposed to be looking out for one another. We're supposed to be there for one another, like siblings. That's the idea here. If you have a need, this church is here to take care of you and see you through simple struggles like moving, more severe struggles, divorce, death in a family, depression. And if you're hearing this and you realize that you have never taken part either in receiving help or giving help, I'm asking you and charging you, take it upon yourself to do something about it. If you're in need and you're at this church and no one's taking care of you, ask. The reason you're not being taken care of is because nobody knows. If you are not in need and you just notice that you're not helping anyone, ask. There's plenty to do and we will put you to work. Thank you, Sam. So moving on, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Grace and peace are common expressions of Paul. You see it in most of his letters, like all but two. Uh, Very simply, it's a combination of the Greek and Christian uh, idea of grace. Uh, It was a very common uh, way to just say hello, grace to you. Um, And then the Jewish expression of peace, of shalom, which even now we hear But the words themselves have very deep meanings. Grace is God's unmerited favor in operation, in movement, in growth, in the heart of His child. It is His Christ-centered pardoning and strengthening love. Peace is that child's consciousness, awareness of having been reconciled with God through Christ. Grace is the fountain of And peace is the stream which issues from this fountain. This grace and peace, though, and this is important, this grace and peace is their promises and benefits to those who are members of God's family. That is, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's not said that this is promises for everyone in the world. It's for those who accept Christ. Next slide, please. Thank you, Sam. Titus 1.5, we'll move on quickly. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains. For this reason I left you in Crete. Paul and Titus evidently labored together in Crete. Uh, Paul did not just drive by and drop them off in Crete and say, see you later. They actually worked together in Crete is our understanding. Probably there were already a small group of Christians. Uh, some Cretans were at the day of Pentecost and probably some went back to Crete and started small groups of Christians. But Paul and Titus went there to further minister to them, and at some point they realized church government needs to be established here. Uh, Evidently they were probably meeting in small groups, and there wasn't any kind of established leadership. Now the problem is that Paul needs to leave. Um, He has obligation, he makes promises in other letters. He was just released from a, a very long imprisonment in Rome, and he wants to go to other churches and minister to ones that he had planted, so forth and so on, possibly take a trip to Spain. So Paul, having great trust and reliance in a young man, Titus, leaves Titus with instructions to fulfill. 
Now, a quick note, at the end of verse 5, you see a phrase, and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. The I there is emphatic, and that's, it means it's forceful. Um, this is bringing out not Paul's egotism, but Paul's authoritative endorsement of the elder system. And again, what he's doing here, I believe, is that he's giving authority and endorsement to the elder program, the, the system of eldership, and, and is giving that to Titus in writing, showing that Titus has the authoritative power, as, as if he were Paul, to set up this leadership in Crete. A quick note on elders, pastors, shepherds, and bishops. In the New Testament, all of these words are referring to the same person. Um, you'll see the words up here that are used. Uh, presbyteros is commonly translated elder or presbytery, if you're a Presbyterian. Uh, poimen is shepherd or pastor. Uh, episcopos is bishop or overseer. Now, if you start looking around in the Bible, you'll notice the passages that use these words use them all interchangeably of the same person. The Bible refers to a group of men being elders, overseers, or shepherds over a church and another group of men being deacons who are the helpers in the church. The concept of one person leading a church or of a hierarchical church government with bishops and cardinals and popes and so forth and so on, none of those things are actually found in Scripture. And I want to make that very clear that the biblical example of church leadership is a very simple one. It's very simple and direct. Moving on. Uh, next slide, please. That you would set in order what remains. Now, this might address the need for correction. In the Greek, this could read more than one way. It may read, set in order things gone wrong. This makes sense because, uh, as we spoke of a few weeks ago, Titus had to deal with false teachers in Crete. There were Judaizers there, and that group, what they wanted to do was take the grace of Christianity and add to it the rituals of Judaism, uh, thus making it so it's not just faith in Jesus Christ, but faith in Jesus Christ and a couple other things. Uh, and that's false teaching, that's heresy. Um, so this might be referring to the need to fix what the false teachers were messing up. The second option is that Titus should finish things that are left undone. Now this makes sense because Paul goes on to say, appoint elders. Paul didn't have the chance to appoint elders while he was there, so he's asking Titus to finish the work that he finished. Now my opinion, and the opinion of the Bible scholar Philip Toner, is that both concepts are probably true here. And that's because part of choosing elders in Crete was the important concept of uh, they had to have the ability and the, uh, the strength spiritually to easily combat the false teachers. These had to be men who could stand up uh, to false teaching on all sides and, and attacks on all sides. So, possibly, this might be better read as, and quote, that you would straighten out what was left unfinished. And that's actually, my understanding, is that's how the NIV reads. Uh, this version of the phrase brings out both the idea of a need, uh, that something needs to be finished, a job that needs to be finished, and also that there's something wrong that needs to be fixed. So that you would straighten out what was left unfinished. Moving on, and, and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. And that's that emphatic I again, that strong, as I directed you. Three principles seem to emerge here. Thanks, uh, Sam. Regarding the nature of leadership roles in the local church. The exercise of power and the style of government may differ from church to church as long as, and there's three principles, one, the leaders are rooted within the local church and therefore they are accountable to the local church. It's important that leaders be local. If they're not local, how are they to have a close fellowship? How are they to care for us and shepherd us if they are not here to be with us? Secondly, power and responsibility of the leadership at the local church are shared by several rather than concentrated in one. With one leader, there's too much responsibility placed on one person. This allows for the possibility of sin or false accusation. If there's one leader, there could be lax accountability and a lot of harm could come very quickly to a small group of Christians. When there's a group of leaders, 
They are all accountable to each other, and they are working closely together. If one elder acts unbecomingly of his position, the other elders have the responsibility to confront him of it right away. And then also, just a simple truth, the work involved of leading a church is too much for one person. Finally, third point, the qualifications of leaders must be recognized by those they are leading. Important concept. An elder must not only possess the qualities of an elder, but he must be recognized by the group of people that he is leading. Uh, It is my opinion and my belief that the reason P.K. Leverance, K.T. Leverance, and Ethan Young are the elders of the Great Adventure is because their leadership quality and their qualifications as elders is clear to everyone here. For anyone who wants to examine them, it is clear. If we did not believe that they were sufficient for eldership, then they should not be elders. So those are the principles for choosing elders. Now let's go over how to appoint elders. What is the system for appointing elders? Next slide, please. Firstly, the appointment of an elder is the big one, a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the very Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity, that indwells all who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. The Spirit moves us to do what is right, to love God, to have desires that lead us to do God's will for our lives. The Holy Spirit is active in our lives, whether we realize it or not. 1 Timothy 3.1 reads, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. If a man is to be an elder, there are two key things that the Holy Spirit will clearly do in his life. First, the Holy Spirit will move the man to desire the position. Now, this is not to be confused with someone who is coveting a position of authority for the purpose of lording it over others. That is not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is someone who desires to lead others in holiness, counseling, and teaching with love and wisdom. It's a very humble thing to desire. I don't believe someone who struggles strongly with pride um, can, even, can even have this desire, is my personal opinion. Secondly, the Holy Spirit will work in that man's life to show him the areas of his life that must change before he can be considered for eldership. The Holy Spirit will actually work in him to show him what needs to change. The second part of elder appointment is that the appointment of an elder should come after that man is, to an extent, doing the work of an elder already. Note the example of Titus. Titus had been on several missionary journeys with Paul. He went to the Council of Jerusalem. He was entrusted with offerings from from the Corinthian church. He had proved himself trustworthy with money, ministry, and leadership. And as Titus exhibited leadership abilities, Paul assigned him leadership responsibilities. As Titus showed that he could do it, had competency, and then did the work, the more he did the work, the more Paul assigned him the work. When an elder is named, it is because, at least in this church, It is because that man is already doing the work and it has been recognized by this body and the other leaders. Finally, the last part of appointing an elder, the congregation needs to recognize that this man is a qualified elder. Now this is also a work of the Holy Spirit. The members of the congregation will be led, either knowingly or not, by the Holy Spirit to recognize that this man is doing the work and that he shows competency and the responsibility needed uh, to be an elder. Now, we need to mention, next slide please, the authority and power of elders. Now, that's a strong statement. The authority and power of elders. In this day and age, we don't like people to have authority over us. It's a touchy subject. But we need to be careful how we define the authority and power of an elder. This is not a man with his own authority and power. Rather, this is a steward over God's flock with God's authority and God's power. The man has nothing in and of himself. The man has no authority. God has the authority. The concept here is of under-shepherds. Christ is called the good shepherd. He is the true 
and one and only true leader of every single Christian in the world, future and past. But elders are his under-shepherds working on his behalf. It's, it's like a conduit. Christ has the authority and power. The conduit is to the elders. Further, elders are held responsible for the members of God's flock. Now, this is a very serious, even scary concept. For anyone who desires this position, take serious thought and heed of this warning. Eldership is not a cakewalk. They are held responsible for the growth and salvation of every single person in this congregation. It is their responsibility to help us and lead us in growth spiritually. And here's the scary part. The Bible says clearly that elders will be held accountable before God himself for how they lead us. Scary concept, big concept. Think about that. If you have that desire, take that seriously. With all of that being said, elders are the stewards of God's authority and power over our lives. Now, we sometimes like to think of elders as leaders at church, but not outside of church. Now, that is completely opposed to the biblical example. In Titus and Timothy, uh, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and several other books, the example is that elders uh, are, are not only elders at church, but elders over our day-to-day lives. They're responsible for our lives in and out of church. Uh, they are very similar to parents in, a, in some ways. Whether we like it or not, they have or should have authority over us in our lives. Um, this concept demands that we respect our elders and our elders' wishes. Now, I believe full-heartedly that if any one of our elders told me that I ought not to be living a certain way, or that they believe that God's will for my life lay in a different direction, I believe that if I ignore that, then I'm sinning against God. Similarly, if the elders instruct us in how we are going to do church here, then we follow those instructions, because we've chosen to be part of this body. In this way, we are honoring God. Now, if there is some minor detail, be very careful how I say this, if there's some minor detail that you do not agree on, my charge is this, that you follow the elders' instructions anyway. If they are wrong about that minor detail, they will be held accountable for how they led you. You will not be held accountable. Also, I just want to point out on that note and glorify God at how lovingly and graciously our elders act towards us. Consider that. I'm saying these things very strongly. I have a very strong opinion about the authority of eldership, but also consider how tenderly our elders love us and take care of us. I have never been, been demanded anything from my elders. I have been asked kindly. Um, I have been taken care of kindly. Consider your day-to-day life. Do you speak negatively about your elders? Do you speak openly about your disagreeing with them? Do you scoff at them? Do you believe that you know better than your elders, and then act upon it. This is all extremely disrespectful of the elders and God who has placed them above us. Now, if the detail is major and not minor, that's a completely different story. And with that, we're going to move into elder accountability. Next slide, please. Elders have authority through God. And again, I want to be careful. Elders have authority through God. They are not... Uh, I wouldn't say that they are worth more than anyone. Uh, I would say the playing field is even, but that the authority is, is conduiting through God. But they are also under strict guidelines. Like I said, every elder is, elder is accountable to God, to each other, and to the flock. If an elder acts unbecomingly of his position, then it should be brought to the other elders or he should be confronted personally and immediately. The position of an elder is so serious that any accusation made against one is to be made known to the entire church and then examined thoroughly. This brings us back to the idea of an elder being a man who is above reproach. This does not mean that an elder cannot have accusations brought against him. Being above reproach does not mean that you cannot accuse an elder. What it means is the opposite. 
actually. It means that if anything even seems lacking in an elder, the accusation must be made public, but a good elder who is above reproach is so serious and public about his godliness that no accusation can come close to holding up against him. That is being above reproach. That no accusation can stand against you. Many of you may remember that this church had the opportunity to follow these principles recently. Accusations were made against our elders, uh, though not necessarily in the proper venue or way. Nonetheless, they were made and they were taken seriously. Now, a large group of men, all active leadership, deacons, elders, and the shepherding team came together and seriously and thoroughly examined accusations that were made against our elders. And I just want to say praise God, praise God that these men, our elders, are above reproach because no accusation could hold up against our elders. And I take pride in that, that the ones who lead our church are holy men, godly men. No accusation could stand up against them because their lives are clearly and publicly godly. Elders are to, be, are to be respected for their position and their responsibilities. But they also have to be chosen wisely and without hasty decisions. Ultimately, God will make clear who the elders should be. Now, we have looked briefly at how elders are, are to be appointed and the authority and accountability of elders. But what is the role of an elder? And KT is going to speak with us about that. want you to be able to see how this, this teaching impacts your life. So right off the bat, all of you know that you, uh, you took some serious time to fill out an evaluation. Some serious writer's cramp came that evening from you writing and writing and writing when you were asked to evaluate your elders. The reason for that is because you as a member of this family are a critical, critical part of uh, making sure that the elders are doing their job, making sure that the elders are spiritually qualified men. And as we go through more verses in Titus, next week we'll dive into that, God is very, very, very serious about who He allows to lead His church. And the, uh, the qualifications are really high standards. Um, so that's one example of how the, the teaching that we're learning, you've seen that happen, we hope, through the church asking for your thoughts and your opinion. The other is key. Um, the role of an elder... If anything, the role of an elder needs to be characterized by a servant. An elder's role, being a manager, a steward, uh, should be the first in line to serve and the last in line to seek his own uh, pride or to seek his own um, glory, so to speak. And we'll talk more on this. But again, these issues hit us day in and day out. And in some ways, the stuff we're talking about is family family administration or family housekeeping where we're looking at how we function together. Um, but in that, there's some deep, deep application. We're going to work really hard to bring that out uh, spiritually. 1 Peter 5, if you could turn there, keep a finger in Titus 1, but turn to 1 Peter 5 and let's look at uh, two powerful, powerful verses about elders and their roles. First Peter chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Examples to the flock. And right in there, Matthew, I thought, did a real solid job of explaining 
uh, what the Bible, how the Bible describes an elder. They're called bishops, they're called elders, they're called overseers. They're also called shepherds. And frankly, as, um, as we've talked, shepherds is a pretty cool way of explaining it. And we have some very, very solid examples uh, of shepherds in the Scripture, um, God's direction for these shepherds. So as you're thinking about the elder's role, we'd encourage you to think about it as the shepherd's role. The uh, Palestinian shepherd uh, has been used many, many times as an example for what a good elder should look like. Back in the day, and I'm told even, even now, is that accurate? There are still Palestinian shepherds with their sheep in the fields. The Palestinian shepherds had a very close, very loving uh, relationship with their sheep. These guys lived the life. It was not a separate task where they were in fancy houses and they happened to stroll down to where the sheep were living. They lived in, the, they slept in the field. They spent time with the sheep. Uh, I'm sure there was hunger involved. I'm sure there was uh, probably some cold, uncomfortable uh, climate involved. But there was a deep bond, a deep love with the sheep. Uh, and the illustration comes crashing back to us that we are a family. We've got to be close. We've got to be involved. We've got to be tight uh, because that's, that's crucial. A key reminder, whose sheep? Um, Matthew used terms like the flock. Well, whose sheep are we? We are Christ's sheep. And he emphasized that, but we can't emphasize that enough. We are Christ's. He's the good shepherd. John 10 shows us that he laid his life down for the sheep. He's the authority on this subject. It's, we belong to him. Uh, elders are steward shepherds. Now we need some help on this. We need the Lord of the Rings trilogy fans to raise your hand. If you like the Lord of the Rings. Now, of that group, we need the Lord of the Rings dweebs to raise your hand. Okay, Matthew. I need some help. In the return of the king, there is a steward. Who is... What's his name? What is it? Loud, I can't hear. The steward of Gondor. So Gondor was the kingdom. And what's his name? What's that? Denethar. Thank you, Liz. Way to represent. Denethar was the steward of Gondor. His role was to manage the household until the king, the rightful king, returned. And who was the rightful king? Thank you. But the steward, Donathan? No, Donovan? Thank you. The steward had it mixed up, frankly. The steward thought he was king. And as you remember the movie, have you seen the movie? It's very good. He was very mixed up. He became very high and mighty in his own opinion. He became very, very uh, lording over the kingdom. He wore the robes. He sat alone in grand halls. And instead of knowing his place, he thought he was much bigger. He thought he was king. And it made him insane. It worked and warped and warped and affected his mind so much so that by the time we come on the scene, he's giving orders for his army to go into certain death only to accomplish his own selfish agenda. I love this picture because this is the exact opposite of what God calls overseers in his house to be. They are not lofty, elevated, out there people. They are brothers with you in this, in this life. Right alongside. Steward shepherds. They don't own the shop. They just watch it while God, the owner, is away temporarily. And we know and look forward to a day where the owner's coming back. The Scripture uses an example throughout of a vineyard where God owns a vineyard and He's appointed managers of the vineyard. But there will be a day when God Himself returns to His vineyard or returns to His family and He'll bring us, those who know Him, 
will bring us to be with Him forever. And we need to get pumped up about that day. We need to be enthused about the day where Jesus Christ Himself will show up. And you'll have an opportunity, if you know Him as your Savior, to spend eternity with Him. But we have to remember that for the time, we have a role. And the, uh, the elders are managers of God's household. Titus 1.7 I didn't keep my finger in Titus. Hopefully you did. Go back there. Titus 1.7 illustrates this so well. And the reason we're talking about the roles of elders, one, is so that we can understand it. It's an opportunity. But two, next week when we dive into these qualifications, what does a godly elder look like? What does a godly man who's equipped and uh, qualified to be an elder look like? Those responsibilities, uh, those qualifications are going to feed right back into these roles. And it's going to be really cool to see why they need to be qualified in these areas. It's because of the role that God has them for as managers, as stewards. So we want you to see a connection. And I think you'll, I think you'll find it helpful and interesting. But Titus 1.7 is in that context of, okay, these are how elders are supposed to live. But it says, since an overseer, that's that idea, that manager, that steward, he oversees, is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, and on and on. Clearly, these are simply managers of God's work, of God's house. And that's important. Jesus Christ Himself, when He was ascending to heaven, remember the Great Commission? He told, He made it clear that, that those who know Him are to uh, go into all the world and preach the Gospel, teaching them to observe everything that Christ has laid out. And so elders are, are facilitators of that teaching. There are four main roles of an elder uh, in our opinion. And a lot of this is we've learned a lot from uh, uh, the Scripture and the study of several, but one of the books we've looked at a lot is uh, Biblical Eldership by a man named Alexander Strauch. He lives in Colorado. And we've spent a lot of time studying the Scripture with him, both through book and in person, and it's been very, very insightful. The elder's role can be summed up in many cases into four categories. And think about a shepherd again. Think, picture a shepherd out in the flock with his sheep. What does that shepherd need to do for those sheep? He has to protect them. Remember David, before he was king, when he was talking to Saul about going up against Goliath? And he said that when he was a shepherd of his sheep, there a bear came, and was it a lion? A lion came, and he had to kill the bear and the lion in order to protect his sheep. He had to put his life on the line to kill the intruding bear and lion so that the sheep would be safe. God calls elders to protect His sheep. God calls elders to feed His sheep. An elder out in the field is responsible for those sheep getting enough food to eat. And in the spiritual sense, your elders are responsible for your spiritual food. Is your plate being filled with enough spiritual food? you have enough opportunity to uh, eat spiritually so that you can grow strong? Your elders need to lead you. Think of a shepherd in the field. If, uh, if there's a dangerous spot or if there's a spot where the food's gone, it's the shepherd's role to map out and lead the sheep to another place. And we know that that involves all kinds of things. As the sheep are trucking along, we've been told that sheep oftentimes we'll get a bit off the trail and it's the shepherd's job to redirect them. To redirect them. There's a key principle here. If the shepherd was to redirect them too harshly, the sheep wouldn't make it. If the shepherd was beaten down on the sheep and suddenly now the sheep's injured and can't even keep walking, terrible approach. The shepherd lovingly, gently guides the sheep. I would think there's a time where the sheep don't necessarily feel that it's real lovingly. We were in New Zealand uh, this last uh, spring. Uh, company, our company sent us and we got to see a shepherd herding sheep. 
And there was a time where a sheep, and in this case the shepherd was using a, a, a sheep dog, which was mighty impressive, by the way. But there was a distinct time where the sheep was really ticked at the leading he was receiving from the shepherd and the shepherd and the sheepdog. And that sheep, I hadn't seen it before, but he made it pretty clear that he was unhappy with the direction that he was going. Well, that never happens with people, right? There are times where as shepherds are charged to lead, there are times where it ain't going to be fun. There are times where it's not going to be comfortable. And again, why are the qualifications so critical? So that you can go back and that you can have confidence that, yeah, these are godly men, these are men that are charged before God to lead. All of this is connected. And as Matthew says, um, my elders, Ethan and PKL, they need to have authority in my life and they need to be able to have leadership in my life on a broad scale. We don't have isolated cases. But the basis of that needs to be gentle. Shepherding, gradual, uh, um, understanding, loving. And we'll talk more about that loving concept. The final role is caring for the sheep's needs. Now this is general, but the, uh, the illustration is when a sheep's hurt, it was the shepherd's responsibility to pick that sheep up, put it on his shoulders and carry it when the sheep couldn't get to the destination that, that the flock needed to go. If there was a sheep that wandered off and was stuck in the thicket, it was the shepherd's job to leave the other sheep, as Scripture teaches us, go out, find that lost sheep, carry the lost sheep back. Most times I would guess there was probably some bandaging of wounds. There was cleaning of wounds. There's a care that needs to happen for sheep. And let's dig into each one of these. Protecting the sheep. Matthew said we've had too much experience with this in the last year. This has been tough. This has been hard. And um, our, for the sake of time and all, uh, I'm going to encourage you to write down these scriptures. One, so that you can check and make sure that we're sticking to the Word of God as the authority. Um, but these are all key passages, Acts 20, 17, Acts 20, 28 to 31, and Titus 1, 9. All key concepts that say the elders are charged before God for spiritually protecting. And we'll talk next week, I hope, about more of this. But the bottom line is that there are threats every day to your spiritual well-being. And it's important that you have elders that will protect you. What are the threats? False doctrine. False doctrine is a huge threat. There are so many opinions out there that would stray from what God has to say. Uh, it's the elder's job to help in that protection. Let me read a quote and then we'll move on. But I thought this was powerful. And we can't be done with this topic here, but we can sure leave it as a starting point. A quote from Martin, Dr. Martin or D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, we have somehow got a hold of the idea that error is only that which is outrageously wrong. We do not seem to understand that the most dangerous person of all is the one who does not emphasize the right things. This idea of protecting the sheep is, is not always clear, it's not, but it's subtle, it's important, it's vital, and we'll have a lot more chance to talk about that. Quickly... Feeding the sheep. Again, spiritually. Scripture, Jesus himself said, teach disciples to obey everything that he's laid out. It's the elder's role to make sure that you're being taught from the Scripture regularly. Have you wondered why there's so many times that we'll stand up here and say, you guys have to be reading your Bible every single day. Well, why, did, why, why emphasize that so much? Because that's the lifeblood. That's the teaching opportunity. And why do I care so much? One, because I love you. We're family. And two, I'm going to answer before Jesus Christ for how well you were taught. And a key element of your learning and my learning is being in the Word daily. It's crucial. Other verses that I encourage you to take a look at, and I'll try and publish these and get them to you 
um, because of the time. Leadership, we talked about that. There's going to be times. In fact, the elder's job is to cast out and lead the body where we're headed. Now, there's tons of input that happens with that. There's vision meetings that everyone has been included in with this church. There's been times where, where it's vital that you give your thoughts of where God wants us to go. But there's a leadership aspect of being an elder that's required. Again, Titus 1.7 talks about that. We already talked about the return of the king. Was it right that the steward was looked to for leadership and some key decisions? Absolutely. It was the abuse of that power that got uh, Demetrius the shepherd... No, I, got him into trouble. Donovan? Donimus? Donathar. The abuse of leadership was the problem. Not that he was making key decisions and leading, but that he had misplaced his role in that. One point that's worth making a minute of time on, the leadership needs to be with focus and sacrifice uh, from your elders. And there's a key quote that I wanted to read uh, because it's so huge. Um... Bear with me, I moved my bookmark. Oh, it was good. I'll come back to it. We'll have to touch on it another week. But it was huge. Oh, here it is. Found it. And for, uh, this is speaking of the elders. Uh, for the elders to survive three full-time jobs, work, family, and ministry as an elder, they must also adopt a sacrificial lifestyle. Uh, they must live the pruned life and literally find leisure and rest in the rhythm of serving Christ. They must be willing to forego a measure of career achievement and private leisure for the privilege of gaining the prize. Many would like to be elders if they could be wealthy and live a leisurely and cultured lifestyle, but the truth is that a significant ministry in the church and the community can only come by sacrifice. Remind us, of that as leaders. Encourage us along those lines. And as you aspire to be a servant of Christ, don't forget that a true servant needs to have sacrifice of himself. I strongly urge you to evaluate and question uh, our culture when it comes to leisure. We've become leisure fat. We've become selfish to the max. And a key application we can take from today is that the true servant of God, the, the ones overseen and also the other members of the body, don't have the time for a ton of leisure. We need to find leisure and refreshment and recuperation doing the work of Christ. Now that doesn't mean that a good movie, uh, a good clean movie is out of line for vegging and relaxing. No one's putting harsh restrictions on that. But what we are saying is before God, evaluate the schedules. And your overseers, your elders, have to be doing that constantly. Remind them of that. Encourage them along those lines. Give them positive feedback when you see that. Give them challenge when that's lacking. Leadership. This is the last one, and I love this one. Care for the needs of the sheep. Bandage, carry, find the lost, provide what they need. James 5.14 is a critical verse. James 5.14 says, If anyone is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and the elders should come and they should pray for that individual. Now, why don't we do this anymore? Am I missing some hermeneutic reason why this no longer applies? We need to take this seriously. We need to look that, hey, there is more teamwork that needs to be done and put your elders on the line for if you're sick if you're struggling get them over there for prayer get them with you so that we can get God's solution on this as a team James 5.14 worth looking at on your own Acts 20 same kind of thing you care for the sheep John 10 and we'll close with this so turn to John 10 with me The ultimate example, the example that all of us need to pattern our life after is the Good Shepherd. 
And if there was ever a shepherd that cared for his sheep, it's Jesus Christ our Savior. I tell you the truth, verse 1, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. He makes it pretty clear in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus laid down His life for you. He gave it all. And it's our privilege to follow His example, to serve Him. The elders have a huge responsibility in that. And you, as a child of God, also have that responsibility. These roles, these qualifications, are not restricted to elders. They're for any follower of Christ. You need to be taking an active role in your church family's life of protecting each other, teaching each other. There'll be opportunities where you can, you can give leadership. There's opportunities where you can care for each other in a sacrificial, loving way. And if we can do this, then the Good Shepherd will be very pleased. And you know what? Probably even more importantly, if we're caring for each other like Jesus cares for us, will people notice that? Absolutely. Will people see that there's something to this following Jesus stuff if people are living it, if it's real, if it's authentic? It's a huge opportunity for us to take a look at the Good Shepherd and to imitate Him and serve each other like crazy. Father, this is, this is a powerful stuff from Your Word. Your, your Scripture is so applicable. Lord, um, there's a lot of technical info here, but there's a ton of application too. So please, teach us to be servant leaders. Teach us to be servants of each other, to be caring, loving, protecting. Um, like Carrie said earlier today, the, the key here is love. We've got to love each other deeply and unconditionally. And so, Lord, we look to you to, to guide us in this. In Jesus' name, amen.